0: Hi, I'm Derek Jensen. This is Resistance Radio on the Progressive Radio Network. My guest today is Sarah Bowen. She's an animal chaplain and co-founder of Compassion Consortium, the first interfaith, interspiritual, and interspecies community for people who care about adult, who care about and advocate for animals on the planet. Where she leads the animal chaplaincy training programs, she companions animals through death, creates sacred memorial rituals counsels humans grieving animal loss and advocates for exploited and endangered species in both religious and secular contexts. She's a columnist on animal-human relations for spirituality and Health Magazine, and her work has been featured at the United Nations Health World Interfaith Harmony Week and the Compassion Arts Festival, as well as a wide range of spiritual media. Her latest latest book is Sacred Send-offs from Monkfish Publishing. So first off, thank you for your work in the world. Second, thank you for being on the program again.
1: Oh, it's my delight to be back, Derek.
0: So I'm going to ask two questions in one, or maybe two questions in two. The the first question is, what do we think we know of the spiritual lives of non-human animals? And second, a quick story. When I was a kid, I was raised a Seventh-day Adventist, and I remember one of the first major... Uh, Uh, existential or or theological threats to my belief in that religion came when the maybe six or seven the preacher had a had a sermon about how no matter how much we may love them uh, our animal friends will not go to heaven and heaven is reserved for humans and i remember thinking at six or seven i don't think i want to go and (laughs) fair enough um it it so i so take either of those any direction you want to go
1: i yeah, I'll take both of those. those are great entering points for this kind of conversation about animals and spiritual lives and transcendence and and all of this good juicy stuff, so you know your experience, Derek, um being told that is is very common. Uh, I work with a lot of people. I do I do quite a bit of work with people who have sick and ill and injured animals, you know, who have that very much on their mind, like what's going to happen when my dog dies or what happens when the cat dies. And then other people who have this from more of a, you know, kind of ecosystem level or species extinction or kind of the bigger picture of, you know, what happens to animals when animals die. And what we're told as children um, Often has a a lasting impact. You know, it can either be something that's very comforting and makes us feel like oh great church or temple or meditation center great place. I want to go or it can be a place we recoil from and when something doesn't feel like it's true or something doesn't feel like it's fair, then I think it's perfectly natural to have the response that you did. So, you know, I have a lot of people who ask me the same questions. So it depends, you know, what what Christians say about this. Now, all of the world's religions have all different beliefs about animals, right? We would need um, months and months and months and podcast hours to go through that. But since you brought up Christianity, let's let's stick there first. So the idea that animals have souls or animals don't have whole souls and humans do uh, goes back to the great chain of being. And it goes back to this idea that. Uh, We need to place other species beneath us so we can do things to them. I mean, in a nutshell, that's what it is. If they don't go there, they're of lesser value and we can do what we want to them. There are a increasing number of Christian theologians who are saying, yeah, yeah, that's not the case. Um, Pope Francis has actually said some really interesting things uh, for folks in the Catholic tradition who has actually said, uh, quote, paradise is open to all of God's creatures. Uh, some some of the Jesuit folks, uh, James Martin, has also said some really positive things about animals uh, and some conservative uh, denominations still continue to say some fairly negative things. So I'll wrap it up by saying it depends. If you want to know my perspective, my perspective is whatever humans have, animals have, because we are animals as well. Uh, but that theological debate is is alive and rearing its head still. Does that does that kind of not answer your first question as well as I can?
0: No, that's great. <laughs> and so I'm I'm again torn because now I want to segue to the other half of the question of um, of. You know, OK, I'm going to do the same thing. So I still have the question. You know, what do we think we know about the spiritual lives of non human animals? Except that this, this, in this thread that we're talking about brings up something that has been, I've been thinking about for the last four years and will uh, do, when I finish the book I'm working on now, the next book is going to be about helping my mother die. Mm. And that was four years ago. She had pancreatic cancer. And um, one of the things that I was thinking as she's dying Two of the things I was thinking, one of them was um, we live in a forest and or we lived in a forest. I live in a forest now. And I was thinking, do the trees care that she's dying? And I was, you know, walking through the forest one day and I noticed a tree had fallen down recently. And that sort of answered the question for me is like, probably as much as I notice the forest, the trees dying in the forest, you know, we're all. They know their neighbors, we know our neighbors, and if they know about my mom, they might feel bad, and and they may very well just not know. But that's not the real point. The real point is that when I start to think that some sort of afterlife, and we can all pretend there's no afterlife, we can pretend there is, we'll pretend there is for a moment. And if some sort of afterlife is open to everyone, then what about a tadpole who lived, who, who emerged from the egg and was eaten by a dragonfly nymph two seconds later, you know, at what point, or what about a, you know, you have all this bacteria in a dish and, you know, what about the bacteria who eats the, the bacterium who eats the poisonous thing and dies? You know, at what level do we, and then one yeah, last,
1: at what level does, does everything stick around? is what you're asking, right? As opposed to being transformed into something else.
0: Yes, and I have one more thing and then I'll shut up and let you go. No Um, worries. Which which is, when I interviewed Ah. Neil Evernden back in 1992, one of the questions I asked him is, so if we're not going to make the the human, non-human distinction, um, then where do you make the distinction between Ah. significant being and insignificant being? And he turned to me and he just said, why do we have to make the distinction at all? And and then nonetheless, you know, like do if we're talking about this, and I know this sounds absurd on one level, but do seeds count as opposed to does a seed have to germinate for it to be counted as a being who then who then has an afterlife? And I know I'll just shut up now and and you (laughs) you go whatever direction you want.
1: There's so many directions to go. And and I think what I first want to say, Derek, is. The thread that you're talking about right now is why religions and spiritual traditions and philosophies developed. We had questions about, you know, we, we as a species had questions that, you know, we couldn't answer. And so we, we created ideas with theories of what we thought happened. We created stories. We created myths. We created all sorts of different things that were oral and then were recorded in books. And we've refined those. Some of us have refined those uh, as we had more knowledge that came in that we learned through, you know, the scientific tradition. And some people have kind of stayed to, you know, what what some of those beliefs and, and stories were before. And there's a tension there. So there's a tension that tells me, OK, I, I can pick up a religious text um, and I can see, okay, there's a place that people go. All right. Well, before uh, we were able to see ourselves in the big blue marble, (laughs) we had never seen the earth and, you know, we didn't understand how big the universe was. Uh, You know, we, the sky was the limit or sky wasn't the limit, I suppose. And then the minute that we saw, Oh wait, there's something up there. And people had to change their beliefs. Okay. Now where, where, where is this heaven place or where do we go? And, and so we're in a constant state of, of redefining and, and defining where we think that is. And, and we don't have an answer. Uh, folks with near death experiences will give us, uh, some explanations of what they see. Uh, quantum physics now will be, is very, very much aligned with what uh, Vedantic teachings from 5,000 years ago in the traditions that we call hinduism said uh and so when you start to look at you know ecosystems and you start to look at the word reincarnation or transformation there are some interesting things that start to layer on top of each other so but we very 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 much want to exist we as people and we want the people that we love to exist and we want them to exist somewhere in the form that we um, that we love that we're connected to and so I hold both possibilities (laughs) I will hedge my bets I will hold the possibility that there is a wonderful place or state or plane of existence in which I might be reunited with people that I really really miss and animals that I miss and all sorts of things And I also hold the possibility that everything is kind of re-put back into existence to live out different forms in different ways. And the seed becomes something else. And and the mouse that my cat ate has some other kind of plan for it rather than to be a mouse somewhere in heaven. I hold both of those possibilities. So (laughs) does that – I mean, I can I could go on there for a while, but the other question's quite interesting because because you know when we start to think about all right well what's a what's an animal's perspective or what's a tree's perspective or you know do they think about death and there's some compelling research now that that says that you know they recognize death as well it's it's not just humans who are um, pondering this i
0: suppose yeah let's 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 move to to that because I think that that really is the the most interesting and important part of the discussion.
1: Yeah. So one of the things that we see now it, as as you know and as most people listening know, you know there there ha- was for quite some time a taboo against, you know, consciousness in animals. And that gave us behaviorism. And told us that, you know, everything was kind of automated responses, cause and effect. And we're past that. Most of us are past that now. And we know about animal emotions and empathy and grief and that they share and fairness and all sorts of things. Noting that many of these observations are species specific and we get ourselves in a little trouble if we extend it across to every living being. Um, but we start to see some interesting things when we talk about uh, spirituality and when we talk about grief. So, you know, the idea of spirituality, we're going to have to define it first, I think. And, and that's a hard thing to do. It's a slippery word. Um, you know, people will define that as self-transcendence. That kind of feeling when uh, you're in the flow, or you feel like you're united with everything, or time just kind of stops, and your sense of the little self is gone. Um, people can explain spirituality as a search for meaning. You know, the spirituality is is the asking the big questions, uh, or they can talk about it as just a way of living. Uh, with with one's eyes open to to connections or to possibilities that we just can't see with human eyes. OK, it could be any of those kind of things. And and but you'll see some of those uh, require some human capabilities. So, you know, the idea of uh, a search for meaning that I tell a story about uh, is something that is very, very much rooted in human language. I don't know what stories animals tell. I have no idea. So I don't know if they have search for meaning. I don't know uh, what stories they might tell. I can't get in their umwelt as much as I might try. But I can see, and many people have observed, that they do some of the same things that we humans do when we're feeling spiritual. So here's a couple of those things. Having reverence or awe or wonder for something that is surprising or big or mysterious first time a child sees a rainbow you know the feeling of the earth shaking that would be that would be dread which would be another one of those emotions um but we see animals acting in the same ways as we do which is they stop they ha- they observe they have reverence and then they tend to do something that, that we humans do, too, at least primates do, uh, is they, they they do a couple things. things. Uh, they might have a hush and something's happening. Shh, something's happening here. Wow. Shh, slow down, be quiet. <laughs> if we were Buddhists, we might say be mindful. And then there's a second thing that they do, which is that they might gather more like, hey, come over here. There's something kind of cool going on over here. Come over and let's sit. So if we look at the work of Jane Goodall or we look at James Herod, who wrote on Jane Goodall's work, what we see are these experiences of animals acting in ways that seem to suggest they have spirituality. Now, the second step on that, and then I'll pause and and see where you want to head from there. But the second step is to say, all right, well, is it something going on outside of them? i.e. God or, you know, some sort of divine relationship? Or is it something going on inside of them, which is what we might look at in in mindfulness or, or non-theistic traditions? And we don't know. But what we know is that when they're having some of these moments, um, that they have brain structures the same as ours that have the capacity to enter these kind of states of uh, what we might call transpersonal experiences so something outside of themselves and that's the basis for animal spirituality which is if we take away the words we take away the books we take away the church pews we take away the buildings we get to that kind of thing that happened that we all gathered for originally which was wow something amazing just happened let's talk about it let's figure out what it means let's bind ourselves together as a community and let's explore the mystery which is kind of back at the basis of all these religions, we see the capacity for animals to do the same thing. So let me pause there. And where do you want to go?
0: Well, I love all that. Thank you so much. It's always such a joy to talk with you.
1: (laughs) Oh, well, I'll keep going. So (laughs) I like to be steered. So I appreciate your help steering us where you think it would be useful.
0: Well, I don't know how much steering this is. It's just another experience I've had that, if you recall from the last time we talked, I see lots of bears almost every day. Mm -hmm. And um, one of my favorite things is when I see bears when they're nowhere near my house and they don't see or smell me because then I get the opportunity to just observe what they're doing unselfconsciously. Yeah. And one of the ones, one of the images that stuck with me was a bear there's there's this on the land where i live there's this one place that's sort of a bowl and it's extremely thickly forested the whole land is extremely thickly forested except for very small parts anyway he's sitting at the base of a bowl i was at the edge of the bowl and he was facing sideways to me and the wind was going the right direction so he couldn't smell me and he's just sitting there uh on a log uh Staring into the distance and not what well, is no distance I mean there's just branches and and I thought of the 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 thing that was the the poster that was on the locker or not locker, but the library wall when I was in high school, which had the Rodan thinker and the caption was "Sometimes I sits and thinks, and sometimes I just sits <laughs> and you know, I have no idea what the bear is thinking. The bear could be, you know, analyzing all sorts of scents to try to figure out whether it's some food. But it just looked like it looked to me, and he's a fairly old bear, it looked to me like for all the world, like an old an, an older gentleman just sitting on a park bench watching the world go by. And I strongly suspect that this is how a lot of non-humans spend a lot of their time um, and that I can't, I can't separate that from a feeling of, you know, sort of grace or, I mean, some of my best moments in my life have been I mean, the, the bull itself is absolutely beautiful. And I mean, I'm not in the bear's head. I don't know what the bear was thinking. The bear may have been thinking, God, my legs hurt. The bear may have been thinking, Oh, this is nice. Anyway, that's that's I'm done. You can now you go you want.
1: <laughs> I'll take that and run with it. The um the, I think there's a couple things in there. I think that, you know, we have this this tension between anthropomorphism and anthropogenial. Right? We do, we don't want to project what our experiences onto other species and at the same time to suggest that we don't share experiences um i mean at at one point along the evolutionary evolutionary scale right we 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 were all forming with capacities for similar things the idea that they don't have the capacity to experience something it it doesn't suit us it's arrogance it's it's human superiority and its arrogance to suggest it so being in that space of they could be Doing something like mindfulness, I think is an interesting place for us to poke, right? They could be experiencing the same feeling I do or something similar. When I sit on a log, I was just up in Yosemite and went up to the, uh, oh, the sequoia up there. Just amazing. You know, I, just sitting there, just sitting there uh, amidst all of that, knowing the trees are communicating with each other. Um, knowing that the you know the douglas squirrels are taking these wafer thin tiny seeds that they're going to plant that create trees that are thousands of years old it's just phenomenal so thinking that you know that other creatures would not take time to appreciate i think that's another word we could use beyond just mindfulness appreciate their environment puts us back in this idea of you know, what what animals and again I'm God I'm using a really broad term that hurts me every time I say it, but you know, what other than humans are doing is just waiting for food, waiting to have sex, or waiting to sleep. And and it's
0: it which just works, which which works for a lot of humans too, <laughs> by the way.
1: It is true, God, like you know, but but hopefully, even for humans, between some of those things, there are moments of other things that happen. So I think being able to wake up to um th- this potential is the first thing, you know, that requires us to to, you know, buy in and accept animal subjectivity, that they are subjects of a life, that they are having internal experiences, they're having embodied experiences, sensory experiences. Um, you know, to, to do all of that, there was, there was an interesting study that was done during the pandemic with dogs. And I know I, I've heard a dog over around you, so I'm going to use that study. Um, that, that said, okay, well, what happens if we have humans and dogs do mindfulness meditations together? Like, what's the impact? And, and it's kind of fascinating to, to look at the results of that and to see that, you know, what they're finding is that the dogs are calming down, the humans are calming down. Well, that's not surprising because we're, you know, spending some time sitting um, or being uh, less, you know, activated, less, um, less movement and and being able to see that when they had humans meditating or being mindful about attributes of animals, for example, the softness of their fur. Or the presence of their breath, their body going in and out, that the humans started to feel more connected to the animals. Now this isn't, this isn't earth shattering, right? It, it isn't. But it is important that we've begun to study it. So that gives me great hope <laughs> that we're starting to say, all right. You know, what, what are the effects? What, what does happen when we can see, um, not that I want to take lots of dogs and put them in MRI machines or do all sorts of other kind of research, uh, to learn things. There's a tension for me as well. Uh, but you know, the idea that they could be having these mindful states, I think is an incredibly important one for us to consider.
0: Yeah. Um, I don't. I don't remember if we talked about this last time, but I don't understand the it, it, it seems to me that that we are living the the one of the great gifts of living on this planet is that we get to be surrounded by all sorts of intelligences that on one level I think uh resemble our own in terms of they don't resemble our own they resemble each other in terms of the dogs are squabbling in terms of everybody squabbling and have have we talked about that that recording they made of bats in the winter
1: I don't think we did
0: do you know what I'm talking about?
1: Tell me about this, and and we'll see if it jogs my memory. I'm thinking about the woman this morning who shook all the bats who had frozen and saved a bunch of them.
0: No, <laughs> um, i heard but, about that.
1: Yeah, so t- tell me about the bats.
0: So so somebody put a an audio audio and video cameras in or audio and video recorders in a bat cave, and they spent the winter. Uh, Recording the bat sounds and then correlating the sounds to bat actions Mm. attempting to make a small lexicon of what the bats are saying. So if, if you did this with humans and you say something, 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 and then I walk over to the sink and get you a glass of water and bring it over to you, they might start to figure that that something, something, something means bring me a glass of water.
1: Right right
0: and what they found is that the, ba- the 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 bats spent the vast majority of their time squabbling and <laughs> um and saying you know hey I'm a little bit cold can you move over here no not that close um I'll move away oh come on oh i
1: i love i love this i love and, this because it returns to a point you made earlier that that, that i forgot to come back to but, but Uh, But but finish, finish the story and then I'll make sure I come back to it.
0: Well, so there's two halves. I think that I think that non-humans, I I think we share a lot of characteristics. I think that that birds squabble. I think dogs squabble. I think if we could perceive their language, that trees might be squabbling. And in fact, trees might be the best conflict resolution people on the planet, except Mm. for maybe rocks, because i mean if you're a tree you're stuck next to somebody for 600 years and um so i think that there's i think we all squabble we all we share those we share quirks and personalities and at the same time the other half of it is that you know a bear has a sense of smell that is like a thousand times better than that of a dog and So we also experience the world in these dramatically different ways. So I think one of the things we're doing by killing the planet that's just messing up is we're messing up with this. What a wonderful opportunity to experience, you know, sort of an embeddedness in all these different just, and I mean this in the best possible sense, all these crazy different intelligences. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I think We're what still it
0: says.
1: Yeah. And I think what it says is that, you know, the species difference matters and the individual animal or the individual being, let's go with being matters and that there may be shared experiences of, of scarcity, of squabbling, of, um, making amends, of forgiveness. Who knows? Right. Those may, those may be some of these things, um, may be more common than we're willing to, uh, we're willing to admit at this point. But what it also does, what I love about your, your bat study here, and I'm going to have to look that one up. I, I love acoustic studies. I think it's just fascinating that we just, we, we are so loquacious. Myself, I'll, I'll, the royal we there love to talk. Right. So we want to know what other beings or how they're talking. But what it does is there's this it negates a, a pervasive idea that drives me insane, which is that animals are always in a state of perfect mindfulness. They're always in the present moment and they always give unconditional love. And if anyone's listening to this and I just popped a bubble that's important to you, I apologize for that. Um, but for me to to suggest that. Suggest that animals have no histories if they're always in the present moment, and that's not fair. They certainly have histories. Uh, we see that in the way that they interact with each other. We see that, um, you know, different beings will remember when another being is nice to them or takes from them. You know, another form of squabbling there, too. Uh, but if we can make sure in this conversation about spirituality that we don't project onto different species some sort of um, unreasonable idea that they are in some sort of perfect state of enlightenment that we wish that we could have <laughs> perhaps we wish we could have so that we could ignore all of the you know stuff we've done um and the situation that we've created you know trying to escape to an enlightenment or to a heaven or you know use up this world we'll we'll go grab another one uh pop off to mars right um you know all of these kind of ideas so I, I I appreciate um, the idea that that each species' behavior and experience is so much more complicated than we could ever understand.
0: Well, thank you so much for saying that because that's that is one of my pet peeves too. The notion that um, non humans are angels or something, because that seems to be just as, uh, denying them of their beingness. as Yeah. As to, yeah. To,
1: or to be able to get angry or to be able to be upset at the things that we're doing. Um, I've been thinking a lot about P22 this week, uh, cause I've been writing on P22, who was the Puma who was just, uh, euthanized out in, uh, Los Angeles and if, if you're listening to this and you haven't uh, looked up P22, look up P-22. Otherwise you're going to get a gun. Uh, but P-22, you're going to get a, a puma. But, you know, thinking about, uh, his experience of, you know, crossing 10 lanes of LA traffic to end up kind of stuck in a 4,000 acre range, uh, where he was trying to, to feed himself and was surrounded by humans for a decade. And, you know, eventually was hit by a car. He had experiences of um eating animals that had eaten rat poison. You know, just also we know a lot about him because he was radio collared. Um, So we know a lot, a lot about his experience from the outside. But I don't want to take away from animals the ability to be upset at us, to be angry, to be disappointed, to be any of those kind of things of God, these humans uh, so, so I want both, I want both. I want the, uh, you know, I want to recognize that there's this capacity for them to have wonder and awe and amazement in the, you know, in whatever way that is for them. If it's a smell or it's a sight or it's a sense, um, you know, whatever it is. And that they also have the capacity to be aware of the interactions they're having with us, that they're not, um, they're not oblivious to it. And they're not, um, Somehow capable of having complex feelings about
0: that. Does that make sense? Am I am I reaching too far? Oh, I don't. Uh, no, no. I I, think I hope this I'm is, not. No, I think this is this is absolutely crucial. And I think there's. Um, I think they're they're just other beings and. You know it's it, as you were talking, I was thinking about how we know this with dogs and cats. We know that they don't live in the eternal present because we have all um seen animals who are uh who have p t s d and yeah. that by yeah. definition means they're living in the past you know yeah. that means that they're they're or a sort of sweet example is that a couple of years ago I rescued a, um, an Anatolian shepherd, absolutely huge dog, 150 pounds. I rescued him from a humane society and, uh, brought him home. He's really happy. Everything's great. And for the first three or four months, he would refuse to get in the car. And I know why it's because he was afraid I was going to take him back and after three or four months now he loves to get in the car but uh, he would get in the car but it's like please don't do this to me (laughs) and it's it's not that much different than um you know okay or you know i i drove over to medford as my mom was dying i i drove her over for lots of Medical treatments, and I drove over for my, I drive over for medical treatments to, for myself too and this last time it's now been four years and I go over every two months for a medical procedure my own and I finally realized that I was to the point where I was no longer traumatized by taking my mom over every time in, in mm-hmm. her dying process mm-hmm. and the, the The point here is that i it, it, We have to go through all sorts of gyrations and put on all sorts of mixed metaphors and also put on all sorts of extremely strong blinders not to see the beingness of non-humans everywhere.
1: Yeah, and that that takes you back. That takes us right back to where we started which is, you know, in in a religious, in a spiritual, in a philosophical kind of context in whether it's, I'm talking about Judaism or Christianity or Buddhism or Zoroastrianism or, you know, whatever of the 5000 recorded religions uh, that I'm taking in. You know, we find these references to living with other beings. We see people struggling with how do we live with them? What is OK to do? What is not OK to do? And we see people, you know, talking about their struggle with how do we, um, you know, how do we live? How do we live in a world where um, our needs and someone else's, some other being's needs conflict? And so for people who are, um, who were told something in a religion uh, that didn't sound right, uh, there, there is probably also something in your religion that says exactly the opposite thing. Because religions are incredibly complex that have a lot of words and a lot of practices and a lot of diversity. And so we can go back if we're in a community, if we're in a religious community or a spiritual community or a meditation center or whatever we're in, we can go back and do a little bit of work to reclaim some of the the traditions and some of our ancestors' experiences and say, no, it's here, folks, it's here. And we need to wake up. And we need to apply this in our communities, and that's why, you know, I'm I'm an incredibly rebellious spiritual person, um, and I, I talk I talked a little bit about that last time when we we met. You know, so I'm kind of open to all of it. Uh, but I the reason I stay in it, the reason I don't leave it, and the reason I continue to work with people in religious and spiritual context, is because I think we've got to open our eyes and not use religion or spirituality as a way to further harm other species. So there's some reclamation work, uh some unearthing of things, you know. Oh, do I want to use the term unearthing? Maybe not. There's some reclamation of of our words to be able to come back and, you know, influence our communities. And so that that's important to me as well.
0: So, I want to go thank you so much Fred. this is all so fun and I want to interview you again. Um, we have to come up with another good excuse um and the the question i want to ask now is and i know this is this this is pure speculation pure projection pure whatever we want to say but can you talk about i'm going to throw some plants or animals out and just make this up but i think it's an important exercise like what how would the spiritual practice of a grizzly bear, perhaps disappear, not disappear. Uh, perhaps uh, uh, contrast. To how how would it be distinguished from? I mean, I think a howler monkey would be really easy because one of the things that they do is they sit and watch the dawn, you know, sit quietly and watch the dawn, and then they start to to
1: get canter, excited.
0: Get excited at the <laughs> dawn. So I think that's an yeah. easy one. So it's
1: happening again.
0: <laughs> so so a grizzly bear spirituality, and you, you can choose different animals for you, I don't care. Grizzly bear spirituality versus a blue jay spirituality versus a uh, cockroach spirituality versus a. I mean, I I don't know about you, but I love thinking about stuff like this.
1: Well, I do, too. Yeah, I do, too. And I think so. I want to go back to what how are we defining spirituality? So if we're saying it's self transcendence, if we're saying it's transpersonal, so it's the out of the, the little eye into the, the the great unity that, um, you know, we might um, call the singularity. I was speaking in, in physics terms or we might call um, the experience of, of oneness or we might, you know, call the experience of connection or if you're an athlete in the flow, uh, you know, whatever it is that that, uh, you know, so terribly religious folks would say uh, or pious folks might say, you know, the kind of unity with God or unity with the Trinity or things like that.
0: Anyway, being in the presence of the Holy Spirit.
1: There you go. That'll work was fumbling for language there thank you so you know the so if that's what we're looking at it's got to be something i would think that would be re- related to uncommonality or on the flip side deepening the way they experience the world so for for a being for whom thinking and talking and waxing poetic is Her current state, spirituality for me, is when words are gone. It's when everything just drops out. So it's the opposite. It's the opposite of my current state. It's it's what I'm not conditioned or normalized to. So if I'm a bear, (laughs) maybe it's sitting on that log and I don't really smell anything. So there's nowhere I need to go. In search of something. Maybe if. I'm a butterfly. And I'm used to. Flight and the feel of. Air on my wings. Maybe it's either hitting a really really good. uh, State of air. Or maybe it's the presence of being completely still on a flower. I think about the hawks that live in my yard. <laughs> you know, and you you look up and you see they just hit a thermal right. Like they just hit something right, and there's that soaring. I've gotta think maybe that gets close to the feeling of me when I finally
0: shut up and drop my words. And And let's take it back to humans for a second and just, Mm -hmm. I want for listeners to sort of think about what it would be like to live in that world. Oh, I know there's two things I want to say. One of them is that the word anthropomorphize um, sets me off more than almost any other single word.
1: Mm.
0: And the reason that it sets me off, and I understand that anything we do with a non-human almost is, is projection, but they'll say, oh, and you hear this, you know, you'll, see a bear, you'll see a bear in a zoo, and it's clearly unhappy and insane, and it, you'll say, wow, that, looks, that bear looks really sad. They'll say, don't anthropomorphize.
1: <laughs> to which I say, <laughs> don't go into anthropogenial.
0: Oh, that's great! When I haven't heard that phrase before. Yeah, that's Franz
1: DeWall. I can't, I can't own that. I think that's Franz DeWall
0: who who coined that. And the the thing the thing that gets me with anthropomorphization is that they routinely project a mechanistic worldview onto the natural world, and you can't get more anthropomorphic than projecting a machine. Machine. Machines. Humans created machines. So it seems to me that the least anthropomorphic way would be to just presume that when you hear two squirrels yelling at each other and chasing each other, they're either A, playing, or B, squabbling. I mean, it's, that, that that doesn't seem like an extensive... It doesn't
1: discussion. seem like a far jump. And, and, and I think that, you know, when we're in that spiritual sense, you know, I, I talked about I guess the last, the last exercise I just did of projection in my head was, was a lot about the reverence and the calmness and the, um, the feeling of self transcendence. And what I completely missed there also would be the second thing, which is the, uh, being in community and why we gather. So think about, you know, howler monkeys are gathering there or we see all sorts of cases of animals who will say yeah come on over here or you know in in grief we see uh lots of different birds who will do rituals we see things that elephants do right we see things that happen in groups in cultures i'm going to i'm going to say and take from from donna Haraway in nature cultures that i could completely compare to the experience of Howler monkey is having a really good time with uh, being at a megachurch with a praise band where everybody's just really, really riled up on a Sunday morning because they've been singing at the top of their lungs. You know, could those be similar experiences? Could they be similar feelings? You know, could that kind of joy and um, communion with each other? could that also be what we're talking about in spirituality because it's not always it's not always meditation it's not always soft there's that other side of it and that's why we worship and that's why we have have you know communities otherwise we could just all be on our zazen cushion every day by ourselves so i think you hit a couple things there so those squirrels could be could be excited
0: um i don't know so let's let's we have just a couple minutes left and let's This is my first. I'm going to ask two wind down questions. The first wind down question is. um, Since we don't know what they experience. But we can make some reasonable guesses. I believe. um, What. Let's bring it back to humans. And. If a human has a choice of walking through a mechanistic world. Or walking through a world. Filled with with vibrant other beings um i recognize that working walking through a world that's purely mechanistic makes it a lot easier to cut down a bunch of trees and sell them but can you talk about the advantages to human experience to walk through a world where you're experiencing it as uh filled with other beings with whom you can possibly enter relationship
1: yeah, you know, we have so many studies now about the impact of when we, when we look with wonder, uh, when we do things like prayer, uh, when we do, um, compassionate acts on behalf of others, that it improves our health. From a purely selfish perspective, um, when we do these things, we we live longer our bodies are better our minds are sharper uh there's enough there's enough research now and, and meta-analyses now for us to see we're better you know that's the work of neuro neurotheologians uh do some fabulous work to looking at like even if you don't believe in god uh when you've got people praying every day they do better health-wise we also see pro-sociality so this gets to the tree cutting or the um Industrialized agriculture, these kind of things. If we can get people to be doing these experiences where they're having a self-transcendence, and this is the area of a lot of the work that I I do right now at Compassion Consortium, um, and and we have monthly services and we engage people in spiritual practices. If I can get you to connect, I can get you to care often. So you know, being able to see the world in wonder is is well, you know, here, I'll wind it down with this. When we last spoke, Derek, you brought up that great quote by um, Aldo Leopold. And and you talked about that he had observed uh, that one of the penalties of an ecological education is that one lives alone in a world of wounds. And we were talking last time on, on the podcast a lot about how to deal with grief and wounds and, you know, just being in a world that is so feels so broken perhaps is so broken uh wonder and awe is a way that we can keep ourselves sane and encourage and inspire ourselves to care and that has to be in the way that is rooted in this earth and is not about you know transcending it for some sort of new future where everything's going to be
0: rosy That would be a good place to end, but I still have my final question <laughs> and, 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 and also, I just it occurs to me that you know if someone you know a, a question that we all like to ask, especially when we're sophomores in college, is what is the point of life? Mm. And you know, as a sophomore in college, I figured out it was the, the process is, is the process of living itself. And when I was a little bit later, a little bit older, I figured out that the point is um, to leave the world a better place because you were born. And in this conversation, I think I'm changing it again. Um, And I think that maybe just as good an answer to the question of what's the point of life is wonder. Hmm. And not as in, I'm wondering what it is, but in terms of feeling that. Yeah,
1: the feeling. Yeah, wonder, awe. Yeah. Um, Ed Young's book, An Immense World that just came out, um, tackles that topic quite beautifully. I think that for me, I think, I think I'm fairly close to you on, on what the point is, but worded a little differently, which is I think the point is experience. Is that we're having an experience. Um, and that can be an experience of wonder. If we are able to position our compass that way. Or it can be an experience of this absolutely sucks. I'm going to stick my head down in the dirt. Until it's over. We have a choice. We don't always think we have a choice. But uh, <laughs> most of the time we do have a choice. So I think we're here to have an experience. And I think that. If that is a wonder filled experience, it's a more pleasant experience, it feels better. And if that experience is helping others to have a better experience and to experience wonder and awe and beauty in their lives too, then the whole process, the whole experience, you know, gets better. And I've just got to stick, stick with that. I mean, I don't know. Maybe someday we'll know. Maybe someday I'll find out I'm absolutely wrong. And those literal pictures on a Hallmark card of pearly gates and some guy waiting to decide if I come in or not is true. I sure hope not. Um, but you know, we don't know right now. So I'm, I'm going to live into this experience. I'm going to help others live into this experience. Um, I'm going to try to improve the well-being for those that I can, those that I touch, those that I teach. Um, that's what I got.
0: Oh, that's great. That's great. Unfortunately, I've got a joke that has to do with the pearly gates. So oh, you do?
1: It. Is that unfortunate or is it fortunate <laughs> and auspicious? Let's hear
0: it. Um, so uh, some guy goes up to the pearly gates. He 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 dies and he has, he has spent his life living on the East Coast and eating lots of things that people eat on the east coast which we'll get to in a moment and he gets to the pearly gates and he looks up and he sees saint peter and saint peter is a lobster and says dinner is served (laughs) um
1: i appreciate that joke
0: just uh, just i mean because just to take us away from the anthropocentrism so so anyway you've said so many wonderful things and now, can you let people know how to know more about your wonderful work? Sure,
1: sure. So the latest book, uh, which you mentioned at the beginning, is called Sacred Send-offs: an animal chaplain's advice for surviving loss. Oh, God, I have such a long title. I can't remember the name of it right now. Uh, it's Surviving Loss and Healing the Planet. It's in there somewhere. Hold on. Here we go, folks. An Animal Chaplain's Advice for Surviving Animal Loss, Making Life Meaningful, and Healing the Planet. You can go to sacredsendoffs.com to get the book. We also have some uh, kits there for helping people deal with grief and links and uh, words and meditations and all sorts of stuff for you if you've just had a loss. And if anyone finds these ideas interesting or intriguing or wants to dig more into them, we do have a training program to train animal chaplains to go out and support people in the world with animal loss, everything from the cat the dog who dies to helping people who are conservationists or uh, vegans who are dealing with dystopia or any of these kind of different different issues. Um, you can get information on that at the website, too. So sacredsendoffs.com. Uh, and I would love to to hear from folks too. We have a contact us form there if if people want to uh <laughs> if people want to chatter um with me, they can go there to have a conversation as well.
0: Well, I just think you do such wonderful work, and um thank you so much for your work in the world. And I would like to thank listeners for listening. My guest it has been Sarah Bowen. This is Derek Jensen for Resistance Radio on the Progressive Radio Network.